Hello, I'm your host Josh Charig and welcome to A History of Heavy Metal in 100 Songs, Episode 10. Today we'll be discussing Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. If you want to get in touch, you can contact me via Twitter on at AHOHM100. I'll also be sharing extra resources here. We are here, Ground Zero, the first heavy metal album by the first heavy metal band. I'm so excited to get to this track and this point in history because this is what we're here for, heavy metal. It's scarce to find a metalhead who doesn't like Black Sabbath. For me, they are a rare band where, after listening to an entire album back to back, I can put on another straight away and still not get tired of them. Sometimes I have to force myself to listen to a different band. If you've not heard this song before, or it's been a while since you have, pause the podcast, give it a listen, and come straight back. If I talk about Britain in the 60s, to many it paints this picture of Austin Powers dancing down Carnaby Street, or the Rolling Stones wandering down Tin Pan Alley. History remembers this opulent time, and it's become part of British culture. It represents a nation starting to climb back in style, after suffering two world wars, a recession, rationing, and being blown to bits by the Luftwaffe. This may be accurate of London, but it didn't reflect England as a whole. Birmingham, Britain's second city, was still scarred with dilapidated buildings and craters from Nazi bombs. Whatever money was flowing through the capital didn't make its way to the people of the Midlands. It was an industrial centre and the majority of jobs were blue-collar. Indeed, Tony Iommi and Bill Ward worked in factories making sheet metal. Ozzy Osbourne worked in an abattoir. Geezer Butler had the most heavy metal job of them all, an accountant. The four would eventually come together and encapsulate their environment into a new form of darker music, influenced not only by the rock bands that came before them, but by the very sounds of the factories. Britain loved this new sound and they found grassroots success quick enough leading to being one of the most influential rock and metal bands ever. They broke America and eventually the world, introducing it to heavy metal. Bassist Geezer Butler followed the occult. He painted his room black and festooned it with upside-down crucifixes and satanic imagery. Ozzy gave Butler a book. It was written in Latin with pictures of the devil, and one evening Butler read this book, put it on his shelf and went to sleep. He claimed to have awoken, paralysed with a shadowy figure appearing at the bottom of his bed, and in the morning the book was gone. What with Butler's Catholic upbringing, he left the occult behind, fearing Satan had actually been in his room that night. Um, Perhaps it was Dave Grohl dressed as the devil from Tenacious D video. (laughs) In all seriousness though, there's a link between depression and sleep paralysis, and Butler suffered from depression unfortunately and that was probably the cause and not a demon looking for some extra reading material. Telling Ozzy the story the next day, he used this event as inspiration to write the next Black Sabbath song, Black Sabbath. The song, Black Sabbath, tells the tale of someone woken in the night, similarly to Butler, but it really was the devil at the end of the bed. He's come to take the life of the person lying there, reading them their sins. The person begs for forgiveness, but their pleas fall on deaf ears, for the devil sends them to hell, laughing. All four Black Sabbath members had religious, Christian upbringings, and Britain was still a very Christian place. The song scratched the fears they grew up with. Sin too much and the devil will take you. It's a horror song. 
Ozzy even said, People pay to be scared by watching scary movies, so why not make scary music? And this question would be a core foundation for the band. The name of this song, the album, and the band come from a horror film of the same name by Boris Karloff. And in true horror style, the song opens with rain, thunder, and a tolling bell, creating an ominous atmosphere almost immediately, bringing to mind an old English church with an adjoining cemetery in disrepair. It almost draws the image of the album cover. If images had sound, that album art would sound like this introduction. This leads to the band bursting to life with that infamous tritone riff, perhaps the heaviest, darkest and dankest riff to date. That riff came about when Butler was playing around with Holtz's Mars, Bringer of War, and Iomi developed it until it became what we know now. A tritone is the root, octave and flat fifth. It creates an evil sound and is also referred to as the devil's note. At various points in England's history, the church has even outlawed it being played because it's so supremely evil. And Bill Bailey has a string of jokes on it. Back to the song though. The band blasts into this over the rain and church bells and subsides into single guitar notes with Ward's toms rumbling in the background. It creates this space of fear and defencelessness against something you can't sense, against something paranormal. Those toms rumbling in the background as well, it sort of plays on people's instincts of, oh, I feel like something bad is around that corner. I've spoken about bands creating feelings on their songs previously, but I think Black Sabbath probably does it the best here out of anyone we've looked at so far. To top it off, they bring this slow tritone to a fast gallop when singing about Satan harvesting souls, as if the four horsemen are galloping through the room. The song utilises a different structure, closer to something like King Crimson would use, where it doesn't have a verse-chorus, but distinct sections. I feel like this tells the story of the protagonist's descent to hell better. The music follows this descent. The band said they wanted to play around with things like tempo and dynamics and in a similar way that King Crimson did. And when bands decide to utilise this in their songs, they automatically become differently structured. As you can imagine, this was regarded by some to be a satanic song, perhaps even worshipping the devil and his killing, or at least glorifying it. This was also partly due to another band called Coven, who were actual satanists. They also had a song called Black Sabbath and played up to the satanic imagery. But looking at the rest of the album, with track titles like The Wizard, Fairies Wear Boots, Evil Woman, etc. On first glance, it might look like a study in the occult and paganism. Of course, paganism isn't the occult. These are two different things, but religious Christians in the 60s and 70s probably didn't see it that way. However, as we know, Record labels love controversy and really push the occult imagery surrounding the band. It was their label, Vertigo, who added the upside down cross to their artwork. Yet, like many artists before them, they weren't Satanists. They got this image from others. Sure, they did play up to it in some ways, but they weren't devil worshippers, unfortunately. Despite Butler's flirtation with the occult, Ozzy has said he didn't realise people worship the devil until he was accused of it. 
It would be wrong to call them devil worshippers or occultists as well. Their music, especially in their early career, is about the evil in the world and how awful it is. At no point in the song Black Sabbath, during this description of a soul harvest, do they say, and we really like this. I don't think I've ever heard them say Hail Satan, which is what a Satanist would say. Another good example of this is on their second album, Paranoid. The track War Pigs is a protest song about how bad war is and those with the power to start it don't take responsibility. It's an evil in the world and they certainly aren't supporting war. And in that song, the generals and the politicians, they go to hell. Nonetheless, some listeners will hear specific phrases about the devil or something pagan and take it out of context. Without actually looking into the band or even the rest of the song, they would draw conclusions that the band were promoting devil worshipping or drug taking. This led to multiple attempts on their lives from Christian fundamentalists, including someone who jumped on the stage with a knife and tried to stab Iomi during a gig. It came from both sides though. Actual devil worshippers didn't think they were going far enough, and on one occasion they came off stage after a gig to find an upside down crucifix drawn in blood on their dressing room door. It's interesting to look at why people are drawn, or so repulsed, by horror. Good horror holds a mirror up to society, or ourselves, and shows what's ugly, or what's wrong. There's a lot I think the Black Sabbath song could be reflecting. After close to a decade of bands singing about peace and love and the objectivism revolution, dogmatic Christianity was still dominant. War was still destroying lives and the planet. Suffering was happening to those who couldn't afford to live the hippie lifestyle. No matter how much people tried to take control over their lives, there was so much going on in the world that they couldn't control. Just like the protagonist in Black Sabbath tries to avoid going to hell, begging for their life, the suffering they're about to endure is beyond their control and there's nothing they can do about it. For some, this is a cathartic release, a story which highlights their beliefs, this feeling of being out of control, and anything can happen. For others who may not want to see this reflection of society, it can be difficult to see how we're not in control. For religious Christians who feel guilt from the sins they've committed, maybe the song rings all too true, and they feel that this is how they will end because of the life they have been living, and that guilt is too much to bear. Whether purposefully or not, it's highlighting an unhealthy part of the religion. An omnipotent figure is judging your every move. Step out of line and you're going to hell. It's very easy to step out of line as Christianity polices basic human interactions and needs. On a personal level for the band as well, growing up very economically disadvantaged and watching the gap between the rich and the poor grow bigger, it must feel like so much evil is out of their control as well. In the early days, they had to miss meals as they couldn't afford to eat every day. Bad things did happen to them, which wouldn't happen if they had money or they worked in an office. Iomi worked in a sheet metal factory and it was on his last day there. He was told to operate a different machine he had no training on and it chopped the tips of his middle and ring finger off on his right hand. He was taken to hospital and told he should forget playing anymore. The foreman of the factory felt bad about the accident and gave Iomi a record. However, Iomi was in such a bad place he didn't even want to listen to any music. But him and the foreman ended up listening together. 
and the record was Django Reinhardt. The foreman explained how Reinhardt's fingers were fused together after an injury from a fire, yet he could play all this amazing, complex music. It gave Iommi, in his words, the courage to continue the guitar, but it took a year to properly recover. Being left-handed, it was his fretting hand which was damaged, and holding the strings was difficult. He tried different materials for fingertips until settling on leather. Playing the guitar was still hard, and to make it easier, he down-tuned it so the strings were more relaxed and less tight. This also gave the guitar a heavier, chunkier sound, which has become synonymous with heavy metal. And that's why this tritone riff rings out so heavy. It's the reason why Black Sabbath sounds so much heavier and darker than the majority of contemporary rock bands. We looked a bit at why this dark and heavy music took off on a personal level, but what was it about these guys from Britain's industrial heartland that resonated on a national and international level? Carrying on from the last episode, by 1970, the world was a very different place to the years that preceded it. Martin Luther King was assassinated and JFK too was killed. Vietnam was still raging. The Altamont Music Festival, now known as the Death of the Sixties, claimed the lives of three people. And the revolution the hippies and the flower power generation were hoping for just never materialised. Instead, Charles Manson and his cult murdered nine people. The world was rapidly becoming a dark place. The blues revival bands of the 60s singing about peace and love didn't seem to be terribly relevant anymore, especially after the high-profile deaths of Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and later on Jim Morrison. Black Sabbath's sound became increasingly relevant and resonated on a larger scale. To many, I'm sure it did seem like Satan was harvesting souls, or the music itself just spoke to them like nothing before it did. Who better to produce this music than four guys who never experienced the cultural and economic boom of the 60s? This darkness is all they've ever known. Upon release, journalists couldn't get behind the sound and they often got bad reviews. There was a rift between band and journalists and they didn't like playing London where <laughs> these scumbag journalists were from. Labels too didn't get behind it at first. The band had 14 rejections before signing with Vertigo. They were so different from anything else at the time, it was hard for these people to see a different type of music. The fans loved it though, and they had a grassroots following from the beginning. Whilst the song was not released as its own single, the album reached number 8 in the UK charts and 23 on the Billboard 100. The album was recorded in one day, it took 12 hours, with no overdubs apart from the sound effects at the beginning of Black Sabbath, and it was mixed the next day. Their second album reached number one in the UK charts despite the bad reviews, and after this, journalists started to come round to their side. That LP, originally titled War Pigs, shot them to success a mere nine months after the release of their debut. Tracks like Iron Man and War Pigs became fan favourites, and of course, Paranoid being the hook which caught so many fans. So much so, the label changed the LP's name to Paranoid after seeing its success. It's probably the song which most fans heard first, but it isn't actually representative of their sound. Paranoid is a roughly three-minute up-tempo song with a generic structure written because they contractually needed another song on the album. For the band, it was filler, 
and they weren't that keen on it at the time. But it was incredibly popular and sold well, and is often used as a live set finale. The song Black Sabbath, though, remains a staple on their tours, being one of their most played live songs. It's one of the most definitive songs of the band, if not the metal genre. I'm going to talk about another Sabbath song in a few episodes' time, where I'll cover their influences in more detail. But from this song and this era, it's still highly influential. Scott Ian says his top five albums of all time are the first five Black Sabbath records. James Hetfield says, Sabbath got me started on that evil sounding shit and it stuck with me. Conrad Kronoslant said, he's a big fan, but they fell a little short of where they could have gone. And we'll actually look at this in a few episodes time as well. Rob Halford said, you can put on the first Black Sabbath album and it still sounds as fresh today as it did 30 odd years ago. Sully Erna from Godsmack describes the track as the darkest song ever, and Zach Wilde explains, I was beyond terrified when I started hearing it. It was pretty crazy. The album Black Sabbath took all the elements of the songs we've discussed so far and put them together whilst adding something of its own, and in the process, it started an entire genre, and it started a movement. Black Sabbath are to heavy metal what the Beatles are to pop. It's a song like none before it, and it was so scary people left the room when it was played. We'll return to Black Sabbath soon, but in the next episode, we'll discuss the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. If you'd like to get in touch, my Twitter is at AHOHM100. Thank you for listening.